not even involved in four pillars anymore, but still getting the plugs in. It's good. Yeah, fucking, you know, you, you can't, you can't give up on this stuff, mate. You, you know, it's still one of your children, even though you've you've ended up getting divorced and you don't see them as often as you used is to. Is it a divorce? I guess there's a financial settlement in the divorce, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Except I probably did a, I did better out of this financial settlement than I will from my inevitable divorce. Right, which you're going to get because now you've got a lot of free time. <laughs> my wife always said she would only divorce me once I'd sold four pillars because she thought he might have he might have some she's money. Smart, yeah. Welcome to Drinks at Work from Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That, of course, is me. The Australian distilled spirits world has seen dramatic growth over the last decade. While there were fewer than 30 distilleries operating in 2013, today there are over 600 in operation. There's obviously something going on here. Now, by my count, the number of distilleries doubled in just the last three years alone. There was something in the order of 250, let's say, at the end of 2020, now there's over 600. That's a lot of distilleries, some of which are good, some are truly great, but many are ordinary at best. Surely there is going to be some shakeout of things in the years ahead. But looking back over the past decade, it's fair to say, I think, that the biggest success story has been Four Pillars. So on this episode, I'm talking to Stu Greger. He's a co-founder and former owner of Four Pillars. They completed the sale of the business to Lion last year. And he's also the chair of judges at the forthcoming Royal Sydney Distilled Spirits Show, which is going to take place in September this year. Stu also has a PR agency, Liquid Ideas, which he founded in 2000. And he was the president of the Australian Distillers Association from 2014 to 2022. All of which makes him a very interesting person to talk to about the industry, about marketing, storytelling, Four Pillars, spirits judging, the lot. I had a great time talking to Stu and there were more than a few digressions. I, you can tell by how much I was laughing throughout this interview, how much I enjoyed it. Uh, and this chat goes on a little longer than usual, up towards the one hour mark. It's also one I put down on videos, so that should be out shortly as well. Okay, let's get into it now. Here's my chat with Stu Gregor. Uh, Stu Gregor, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work. Thank you for having me, Sam. It's very good to see you. It's been too long. It has been a while. You've been busy. Hey, haven't you become a success? Have I? Yeah, my booth be going unreal. I read it all the time. Very good. Well, I'm glad you do. I just want You're to be one as, of the five people. It's good. I just want to be as interesting as Ross Blaney. That's my that's my dream. With, well, I don't have the let's accent. Let's not set the, the heights too high. Okay? Oh, come on. <laughs> Ross is, uh, you know. We had, Burns, a, we, had, we had Burns night together. Did you? Yes, on the 25th of January, we drank a lot of Glenfiddich and I wrote I read a piece of Robert Burns' poetry to a haggis. You did? Yep. And you I did the Ode to the Haggis? did the Ode to the Haggis. You're kidding me. It's dead set, one of the great honours of my life. <laughs> and Ross, um, Ross... That's a big deal. I know. So Ben Greeno asked me, you know, from the Maryvale Group. Yeah. Um, to Because there's a lot of... People know that there's a lot of me in uh, in kilts, right? Because I've got my own kilt because I'm a Donald Stuart Gregor right. of the Gregor fa- clan. Mm. And so <clears throat> he asked me if I would do the address to the haggis. I said, mate, that's the greatest honour. It's the night before Australia Day. Yeah. So I said, yeah, of course I'll do it. And then so Ross did all the uh, um, the Glenfiddichs and I we marched it with a piper <laughs> through yeah. the whole of the Paddington <laughs> and came down and then I read the Burns poem Yeah. and then I stabbed the haggis. What is Burns night all about? It's the night to celebrate the life of Robert Burns. Right? Sure, is, is this poet. where we expected this to start? Oh, I'm glad we did. <laughs> but it was. Um, I hadn't written any intro, no, so I wasn't okay, sure I was going to get started. So thank you for that. Um, I always <laughs> thought that the greatest honour that I could ever have bestowed on me, being in the spirits industry, was to become a keeper of the quake. Yeah, that's a big right? deal. I think that is a big deal, and so you'll probably get, you'll probably one day be that because you're famous <laughs> and awesome. important and influential. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the next best thing <laughs> we should talk more often. Is, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> The next best thing is to, do, is to do the Ode to the Haggis in a pub in Paddington with a whole bunch of 22-year-old Scottish girls who met on a Facebook group. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was a good night. Anyway. Okay. Well, I don't know where to go to from that. Hey, so you do have Hi. some time I used to, to four yourself pillars. now. I was the guy at Four Pillars. Yeah. The Four Pillars guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get to Four Pillars and everything in a second. Oh. But <laughs> you were uh, the, the head judge, chair judge, big oh. chief of the Sydney Royal Distilled Spirits show? Yeah, so is that right? <clears throat> September 2 and 3. So Sydney Royal, which is part of the RAS, which is, you know, if you've grown up in Sydney, yeah. you know, it's the Royal Easter show and one of the most important sort of agricultural shows, you know, across Australia, mm-hmm. um, has always had a, a show and everything. Yeah, has always had a really big wine show, yeah. you know, for over, well over a century and obviously does dairy and food, fine food, and they never really had a standalone spirits show. So. Yeah. Um, in the middle of last year, Angus Barnes, a great old mate of mine who's the chair of the Wine and Food Committee at the RAS, yeah. sort of we started talking about 
should we have a spirit show? Because, of course, Melbourne has a great spirit show, which, of course, you were uh, the chair yes. of, I think, initially. Three years? Because yeah. I had the, yeah. I, I was sort of involved in setting that up way back yeah. when we were doing the Australian yeah, Distillers. I think, I, Jason Crawley and then me for a few years. Yeah. yeah. Then Sebastian um, So that's the Australian Distilled Spirits Awards, which is Melbourne Royal, basically. Yeah. So this is Sydney Royal doing the same thing. Hopefully. And, and that Australian Distilled Spirits Awards is huge now. There's like... It is. What, 700 plus yeah, entries or Yeah, 750 odd this year. Uh, yeah. An incredible show and beautifully run by Melbourne Royal. So Sydney Royal is going to try to do something equally as good. It's going yeah. to be a really great show. There's going to be RTDs in it for the RTDs. first time. RTDs, okay. Yeah, and you're going to be a judge. So I'm going <laughs> to give, give you the really sweet RTD category, okay? <laughs> Over 40 grams of sugar. Well, I, I first cut my teeth judging on the liqueurs category, so I think I'm well qualified. There you go. Yeah, so, I got this. Um, yeah, judging in September, early September, we are just putting together a really excellent list of judges and associate judges. Um, yeah. And I think these shows are really important for the industry. You know, there, there, there always used to be just a, a, a saying, particularly when I was back in the wine, you know, so my background is a bit of wine judging and a bit of wine yeah. you know, 30, 25 years ago. And the, the, the essence of what a, an agricultural show about was improving the breed. Mm. Right, so improving the breed, whether that's a cow or a pig or a bird or a, or, or, or wine, yeah. and 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 it's a lot about this is that getting a really good panel of well credentialed people to have a look at spirits, give give good feedback to the producers, and hopefully improve the breed. Hopefully everyone goes back, yeah. and next year's efforts, like all of us as, as distillers, you know, you, you you need to make next year's a little bit better than the years before because there are always new competitors and new people coming to the market. So, I think it's a really important. Initiative. Well, there's a lot of feedback that comes out from the judges, right? Yeah, so yeah. And it's, I've always been skeptical whether or not that's actually taken on board by distillers or not. Like, do I don't they, know if it is. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, no matter what, because <laughs> they're particularly like they're, yeah, they're a type say. of person, right? And they, they they know what they like, and they've worked on the recipe for however long. And yeah, but if you, you win know. the gold medal or the trophy, yeah. the judges are geniuses. Yeah. If you don't, the judges are clowns. Yeah. Right. No matter what category it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. You, you think your cow is better than the cow next to it and yeah. doesn't win, or your oyster, or your cake, or your spirit, <laughs> or your wine, right? And the fact of the matter is, it may not be. Yeah. Um, but use the feedback and, and become better. So, yeah, it's going to be a great show, September this year. Yeah. Um, what, what's the need for another spirit show like this? Because you've got, I mean, there's uh, WA does one. You've got Tasting Australia, Tasting Australia in, in Adelaide. Royal, um, yeah. Look, I think the need is to have, I think, um, the most important thing is to having having a really well-run, well-credentialed and well-managed show. Yeah. I know and you know that there are a few shows or spirits competitions around that are not well-run, not well-managed, and these are not any of these royal shows that we're talking about, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it's all said ones overseas. <laughs> some overseas, there's a couple in Australia, but um, <laughs> um, that, that, that do not have a rigorous judging criteria or, or methodology and they give gold medals to whoever enters and they put a skippy, you know, a kangaroo on the It does on feel it, like, right? you know, being a, a drinks journal, you get a press release every week from another comp that's, you know, this brand's won a gold medal here and a gold medal there Look, and it's, you know. You need to You can get a lot of it. You do, oh my God, and oh, you do. And I mean, you out. get, so so that from your perspective, but yeah. also from the perspective of the of, of the distiller themselves, Yeah. you get asked to enter a show every week of the year, right? Every week <laughs> of the year. So that might be- a, a, And that costs money out of your budget. Every right? one of those costs yeah. money. Everyone, you know, so what you end up having to do is make decisions around which ones are the ones you think are the most credible, yeah. right? And so obviously, you you know, you enter the IWSC or you enter, you know, San Francisco. You know, there are two, two yeah. or three on the world stage that everyone has known for a long period of time have been super credible. Yeah. And I think the royal shows in Australia, simply because they have the resources, yeah, and they have the infrastructure and they have the understanding, having run wine shows. That's for the thing. I think years. it comes from the wine show background, yeah. right? Because the judging is different to the way it's done overseas as well. Yeah, and right? I think the judging, the way that that judging is done, has been sort of it's been refined over generations of wine show judging. Yeah. Right? Can, can you briefly describe it for anyone who's yeah, not look, familiar? So, so, so at Sydney Royal, we will have five five panels. So we'll have five panel chairmen, chair people, chairs. Yeah. Um, we will have then 10 senior judges and five associate judges. So let's say, therefore, there'll be a panel of, 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 of three judges and an associate judging yeah. a category of gin, let's say. Yeah. And we will have to split the gin up across multiple panels because there'll probably be 250 <laughs> gins. Yeah, in. you'll need another. Oh. Yeah, anyway. Right? <laughs> and the, um, the, 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 the gins will all be brought out blind, yeah. right? They'll all be lined up and you'll probably do no more than about 12 in a bracket. 
I would have thought. You know, normally it's sort of sort of nine to fifteen or so, yeah. because that's about all your palate can handle in, well, in that sort of hour hour long sort of and alcohol tasting dulls window. The palate over Correct. Time and, yeah. So each each judge will judge that on their own on an iPad and give a score out of hundred, with ninety four plus being a gold medal. Um, and then silver medals being uh, high 80s into 94 and then bronzes and then no, no awards. Um, and then each of the judges comes together and, and you, you, your scores are collated immediately. So you can't change your score just because the more senior judge gave it a 90 and you gave it a 60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So it's a really yeah. good way to learn. And then the, the panels, and again, a bit different to sometimes what happens in Europe, the panels then discuss, okay, well, two of you gave it a gold, you gave it a silver and you hated it. Yeah. What's going on here? Yeah. And there's a really great discourse, particularly for, I think, for some of the associates and also some of the, 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 the even the panel chairs about yep. what are we looking for stylistically? What are we looking for technically? Yeah. Um, and I just think it's a really rigorous and show. You, and you come to some sort of con consensus opinion. Yep. Yeah. And often, and one of the things that I'm really passionate about, and I think one of the things that you'll see at Sydney Royal this year is that the associates, I'm really keen to build the calibre of judges in spirits Across Australia, you know, yeah. we need to have more great judges because the better you are as a distiller and a judge or an influencer or a bartender, and the more you can technically analyse a spirit, mm. the better everything's going to become. The better your drinks become, 100%. the better your stories become. The yeah. better, you know, so you'll be a better buyer of spirits yeah, in your correct. bar. Yeah, correct. So it's a. Um, I, I hope it's a really good show. I mean, it's the first time, so you know there'll be there'll be a few kinks in yeah. its armor, but it should be good. This is a winner winner. This is what the Sydney Royals going to be. It's called a winner winner. What, what are we drinking? Winner winner. That's what it's called. Oh, what's if in it? If you ask me, what's in it? <laughs> it's a very complicated we, drink. We should, we should say where we are. We're in. Uh, ah, we're in the Four Pillars Lab here in Surrey Hills, <laughs> right? Which I think is the most beautiful space, and I've always had an incredible soft spot, spot for this because I did play a small part it, it, yeah. in its instigation. And it was on the uh, in the fifty best bars in New South Wales from Boothby last year. That was on there. Yeah, yeah. And there was a drink in the in the top fifty. Yeah, yeah. a drink in the top fifty as yeah. well, which yeah. I think Michael might have uh, designed. Or I think there was one from Tom Opie. Tom Opie, yeah, yeah, who's moved on. He's now at the Waratah. At the Waratah yeah. with all of our former staff. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Evan and Rusty are all there yeah, now. Very good. Um, so the Waratah is obviously great because they've had the best training of all time. But, yeah, what is the drink this, we're drinking? This is a special place. This this is our lab. This is the Four Pillars Lab. It's at the, on Crown Street in Surrey Hills. Yeah. Um, and it's been open almost – it's been open three and a half, almost four years. So yeah. it's fantastic because it's still um, – Still operating, and what we're drinking is a thing called Winner Winner. And if you ask me all the ingredients, come on, you had the oh, ingredients before. Two There's gins, some four pillars yuzu in there. Okay, four pillars yuzu in it. That's for Gemma, just to show that I'm plugging the brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 olive leaf gin. And is it really obvious I'm looking off camera? Yeah. And sake, <laughs> chicken salt, Jeez, watermelon rind, and. That's it. That's it. That's actually really good. And a pickle. A pickle juice. I think there's maybe pickle juice in it. And Dave made this out of our distillery down in Hillsville. Mm. It is delicious. Yeah, and it is. It's bloody good, actually. And I, I think, think you've got, you got a future behind the bar if you need things to do. So. Me? Yeah, with well, that kind of sales pitch, it'd be great. Mate, I think... Right, I've, I ran into... <laughs> you, you, um, actually, I've seen you behind bars at uh, trade shows in Berlin and whatever. You, you love that. Fuck it, mate. I do, one on one with people? I genuinely do. Like it is a single, One on five? It is the thing. <laughs> Honest to God, it's the thing that I think I, I, I loved the most and will probably miss the most is that real interaction with either the trade or the consumers, just telling the stories, yeah. asking questions, just having a lot of genuine human interaction. Yeah. That's I, the thing I love the most. And I got a question about that because when it comes to like the sports that shows, it's hosting the bar awards when you used to work there. <laughs> God. Yeah, we could do is there anyone old enough we, on this? We could do a podcast on that alone, I think. Uh, um. Those were the days. <laughs> I don't remember much. Uh. <laughs> you, you think I do? <laughs> No, I'm sure you don't. Uh, when it came to comes to the objectivity of the spirits competitions and kind of doing that analytical approach, how do, objective do you think the judges can be? Because also, like your job has been to sell spirits to people, tell the story of the brand, and that story always matters about how people kind of perceive what's in the glass too. It does. So, so one of the th one of the challenging things about doing a, a, sh a show where everything's blind, so you can't take a prejudice in, because yeah. even if so, for instance, there is no way that if I was to look at a lineup of 12 gins in a contemporary gin class, I would not be able to pick the four pillars out of that lineup, right? I may see a few things that I think yeah. are characteristic of the four pillars, but this whole idea that our judges can only, you know, can pick their own ones and just give them immediate trophies is a nonsense, right? Yeah. It's just not, none of us uh, are really that good enough. And I think the other thing is that because there are three other judges, 
if I if I give the one that I think four pillars ninety nine out of hundred and everyone else gives it sixty, it's not going to win a gold <laughs> That's medal. It. That's it, right? Yeah, yeah. But if everyone else gives it ninety eight, well then we might have picked a good one. Yeah. Um, but I think um, I like I love judging as, uh, just intellectually and conceptually because it takes it strips everything else away. Yeah. And you just get to have a look at the juice. I learned so much about gin because I've been on the gin panels a lot, yeah. and then just when you're tasting like fifty throughout a day or whatever or, or more. You, you kind of get a feel for where the landscape's at, what's yep. good, what uh, the interesting things are. But there's also, you know, sometimes I'll look back at the results and go, oh, I really like that gin normally and maybe it didn't stand out as much because there's some other gins are bigger or yep. more flavorsome. You kind of lose them sometimes. My greatest fear of, a, of, of any spirits competition, any blind judging And this would be the same in wine as well. Well, right? this is one of the things. See, I think the wine... The wine judging went too much over the sort of 80s and 90s towards bigger is better, right? The big one, the one that smells the most, yeah. the one that has the most aromatics. The Robert the Parker that, kind of wines. Correct. Yeah. Started winning all the trophies. Yeah. And so then people started – so when we're talking about improving the breed, improving the breed is not just making something bigger and yeah. bolder and richer. Um, so it is one of the things that you have to – and I think as my role as panel chair as much as anything else – is making sure that panels don't miss the subtle ones, the beautifully yeah. made ones, the ones that are a little bit un. You know, not all Oscars need to go to a maverick. <laughs> you know, like a big bold fucking oh, blockbuster. It'd be more fun though, right? <laughs> Sometimes you've got to let the art, the art house movies get through. That's it. Yeah, and um, you don't always get it right either. Yeah. I think one of the other things is that you can't, you can't expect every judge on every glass to get it right every time. Well, no, I mean, but also the way you taste things on a different day, you know, you might have had something for breakfast that, I don't know, you just, just slightly be, change things. Just you might, might be in a you shitty might, mood. You might be judging with some absolute pricks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm sure you've done enough word show judging to have a yeah. piece of on that. Well, and also you, the, the, you, you, it's very difficult for your personal prejudices not to get in the way. Yeah. Right, so if you see things that you know you don't like, it's very difficult for you not to give that a bad score. It's well, really hard. I pride myself in doing that because in, in not giving them a bad score. I once tried, I argued very heavily with uh, Sebastian Rayburn about giving a muscular cure a gold medal. And <laughs> it was just adamant it's not going to happen. But I was trying, yeah. you got to open people's minds. You gotta, yeah. That's what you are. As, you're, as a for, you're, not, you're a mind opener. Well, you're a mind a bender. Cure. As an example of a muscular cure, which is an awful drink, Musk. it was a great one. Musk. Musk. Yeah, you know, like the like musk sticks. Yeah, like the lollies. Yeah. I'm with him. Zero. <laughs> but of its of its category. <laughs> of its category of one. Anyway. But yeah, keeping an open mind's important. Yeah. Right? Um, in terms like you, I think as we alluded to, you were at there at the founding of Four Pillars. You I was found, there at the I was there at the Pillars. founding. <laughs> I'm a founding father. <laughs> you, you went on a bit of a ramble after that. Uh, that was what, 2013, was it? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the first kind of craft distilleries doing gin in Australia that kind of broke through to the mainstream, I think. Yep. It's fair to say. Yeah, I think so. If not the first. Right. Uh, we went around the world. I remember seeing you pouring in at BCB Berlin. in Berlin. So you came to that Berlin, what, in 2017, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah, came, yeah. That was a crazy... That was, a, that was good fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, you know, it grew quite quickly. Then in 2019, uh, Lion... Bought half of it. Correct. Right. Yeah, about, you've researched room, this room well. for about 40 million you are or something. Yeah. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we said rumored, I guess. Mm. And then last year, 2023, they ended up buying the rest of it mm -hmm. for a rumored 50 mil or so. Something like that. Yep. That means that, okay, so back then though, there was like less than, what, 30 Australian distilleries in operation when you guys started. Yeah, look at it. it, it now it, there's over 600. I know, I know. And I got that 600 number just at the end of last year because I yeah. keep quoting like 400. And Pete, yeah. it was Paul McClay, you know, for the boss of the Australian distillers. He said, mate, it's more like 620 yeah. or something like that. It's, you, it's terrifying. At, at the end of 2020, I did. I went through, spent two days look, compiling all the distilleries and I think I got to around 290. So it's, At the end of 2020. At the end of yeah. 2020. So yeah. that's another 300 in that. Three years. Oh, no, it's crazy. I mean, I th yeah, I, I reckon they were probably 30-odd. I mean, mo the bulk of them probably were Tasmanian whiskey distilleries when we started, <laughs> yeah. if you go back to 2013. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there are a couple of people still making gin, and credit to the you know Kangaroo Island guys and mm -hmm. also West Winds were making gin before us. And, and Andrew Marks, you know, the Melbourne Gin Company, actually, yeah. I reckon, launched a it's month before yeah, us. Like, time, literally right? weeks. We were weeks apart. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it has seen exponential growth. And, you know, it's it's it's... Obviously now increasingly difficult to secure shelf space, market yeah. shares, share of voice, all those sorts of things are increasingly difficult um, now. But I think... Yeah, I guess the question I'd ask you is, would you 
knowing what you know about the industry and everything now, would you set, set up four pillars today if it didn't exist? In in a gin market with 300 local craft yeah. gin distilleries? <laughs> yeah. No. No, no chance? No. 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 I think, I think, I, I don't think I would set it up today. I think that it would still have a good, a better than even money chance of success because of the way we built it and the people we had around us and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, we were lucky. I mean, you know, everyone, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing and everyone's an expert, you know, yeah. because we got out and we got in and we did all the, a lot of the right things and so many of the wrong things, several <laughs> of them in Berlin on that trip. <laughs> but anyway, um, it was, um, we were lucky to be at the front of the wave. Yeah. Right? And whether we helped build the wave or whether we helped, you know, certainly in an Australian context, there were just a couple before us and very, very many after us. So I yeah. guess we're at the, we're very much at the front of the wave. But it was a, um, we were lucky in terms of timing, but I think then the luck, you know, sort of will will help you out for a, a year or two years or whatever. Sure. But, and then it has, well, to, like be, it was a novel, then it has to be skill thing, right? and hard work and yeah. dedication. And we really helped create this whole concept of Australian gin being a thing. Yeah. Right? And Australian gin being excellent. I think one of the things that, to remember is that you know even even today you know we are still winning the biggest of the big global awards for for yeah, gin right. you know cameron turned out to be like actually the best gin distiller yeah. in the world and we didn't I, let me tell you <laughs> secret we had no idea if he was going to be that good in 2012. well he's a former uh, olympian right? yeah it was an obvious background <laughs> to have before becoming <laughs> but a gin distiller but a, wine as a, runner. Maker, a winemaker as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, um, but but he'd certainly worked in a lot of wineries okay. on the production and the sales and the right, marketing okay. side. But he, um, you know, he he together with me had tried to make some wine of, of varying qualities over the over the years. But because um, you studied wine back in the day, didn't yeah, you? Mate, the in the nineties, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so long ago. Oh, but again, yeah. I, I did I did the wine business undergraduate, which is like wine marketing. It used to be called right. wine commerce, that side of things. So you would do half your subjects were wine making and half yeah. your subjects were commerce, basically your know, marketing, uh, you yeah. know, PR, all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I was never going to go down the line of uh, being a wine maker because gotcha. it's too hard, yeah, and sciency, you know, all that sort of stuff. So <laughs> Patience I was, and yeah, sort of thing, yeah, whatever. Gross. Um, and so I was always going to be the guy who worked with the winemakers, mm. helping tell their stories. Yeah. And that's sort of my my whole background. But I loved, I loved the stories around it. But I also just loved the tasting and potentially the drinking as well um, and just figuring out how what made great wine great yeah. and I loved the I was lucky enough when I was probably not even 30 to get invited to do a few bit of wine judging from a couple of guys because I was writing some columns and that sort of stuff yeah um, and I got to do that for sort of eight to ten years before you know life caught up with me and I could no longer sort of fit it in and yeah and wine was taking a bit of a backseat to a few other things but um I always loved it, so that's why it's such a fun thing to get back into judging spirits. Yeah, but you you made the choice. I think you were, the the story goes that you guys were looking at doing a tonic water. Yes, and then for a day, like, for a day, and then, and then you were just <laughs> like, "Why don't we make gin instead?" Yep. Um, what like what kind of resources did you bring to bear on that at the start? Because I mean, well, the key resources. It'll be easier to do a distillery today, I think, because there's so many around. You probably get probably going to get some cheap copper coming up in the next few years. You'll buy a secondhand still yeah, yeah. from any, from any number of just. Yeah. The, the key resources were human resources, right? So I think you know, yeah, it was important that we raised money. Yeah. And I mean, we were the first people to bring a Carl still into Australia. Now yeah. there are dozens of Carl stills now because everyone thinks, oh, we've got four pillars use a Carl still. We better buy buy one to make out. Should have bought into that distillery. Oh, should have bought makers. Into, yeah. well, we bought. <laughs> I think we have six of them now. Out just ourselves, including Eileen, just over there. Yeah. Um, so. For mine, um, it was making sure, I remember doing, you know, Cameron and I doing the research into what would the best gin still look like yeah, and where would it be from? And we soon sort of said it's got to be German. And I, one of the things that I would say to anyone setting up a distillery today, you know, if they wanted to hear my advice, which I'm sure they don't. I'm sure is, they would. Is, 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 is buy the best equipment you can afford, right? The, the yeah. still is the heart and soul of what you do. Yeah. But if it like as simple as if it continually breaks down because it's a knockoff job from China and it and it leaks yeah. or it's it, the welding's bad, you're just going to continually lose production capacity. Yeah. But if you're and, making gin, you want a, like an exceptionally clean spirit to start with, incredible. right? And you want the best yeah. manufactured, the best engineered machine, gin machine that you can possibly have. Yeah. And also, why not make it look beautiful? Because you know our 
photographs of that still, Wilma, our original still, are still being used, still being used today <laughs> to promote Australian spirits. There's yeah. a photo of Cameron standing in front of that still that I swear to God has been used to illustrate every single story about Australian distilling in a decade. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, he's sure, standing I'm, at the I'm table. sure I've done it like five times. Yeah. It's a bartender back. Yeah. yeah it's, it, and, and so be thinking of everything you do in, the, in a sense of how, how can it help you tell your story because yeah. um, make the most beautiful product and win lots of medals and all that sort of stuff. But then also be able to tell, make every bit of your production and every bit of your hospitality part of a broader and richer story. So you can continue like this. Don't build a shitty bar. Yeah. Build a beautiful bar that people from anywhere in the world are going to walk into and go, my God, that is amazing. Yeah. This must have won design awards, surely. Did, right? win, did yeah. win a few design awards. Yes. Yeah. Um, I oh. designed it all myself. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Had nothing to do with the design of this bar. <laughs> That's all Matt Jones and Yasmin. Yaz. Yeah. Yaz. Ganaim. I can never say her surname. <laughs> Genum. I don't we'll, know. Sorry, we'll put, Yaz. We'll, we'll put it in the, in the, in the podcast <laughs> put it in the, show notes. Put it in the notes. <laughs> this is how you pronounce it. Yaz's surname. Um, how important is the storytelling then, right? Because, I mean, you've been in Liquid Ideas is the agency yes. you started, what, 2000 yeah. or something? Yes. 24 um, years ago. They do PR around sort of hospitality, drinks, kind of booze, PR, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, how do, what kind of work went into going, what kind of work got the story of Four Pillars going? How, how long did that take to develop? And how did you think about that whole process? I mean, you're probably asking the wrong guy about um, how important is storytelling because I think storytelling is everything. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you look at any of the brands you like, not, not just in the in the liquor category, but you know, shoes, shirts, cars, yeah. um, furniture, whatever whatever category it happens to be, mm. there's always a story attached to the one that you love the most. You know, there's a story, both your personal story, like I remember the first time I bought Asics shoes, or the first time I bought that shirt that I love, or the first time I bought a car that brand that I obsessed yeah. with. But then there's also stories in that brand that enrich that brand itself, like all the stories about Ferrari. I'm just using Ferrari as an example, just popped into my head. Because yeah. obviously I'm so rich now, I just bought a Ferrari. I didn't buy a Ferrari. Right? He bought two. No. <laughs> I, drive, I still, I, I was driving my um, beaten up, my daughter's uh, Volkswagen, 12-year-old Volkswagen Passat down uh, Favot Street yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And Ben, who you know runs Applejack, oh, yeah. was just out the, out the front of Forrester's and I blew my horn and I put my window down and said, mate, you don't need that. You know, you got any shifts for me, mate? You know, I thought you had a better car than this now, mate. Um, but anyway, that's, you know, hashtag. Back on topic. Hashtag yep. humble. Yep. Um, no, I think storytelling for Four Pillars was always going to be um, how do we craft an, a story but a reality? And not just a story because, because stories have to be built out of reality and that's the yeah. thing. You can't fake it. Right, so oh, look, it was always a lot of people a, try. I know, and it's bullshit, and people can yeah. prick the bullshit balloon as simply as anything, particularly these days. Yeah, it's so easy to find find fakery, right? Yeah. And everyone wants a lot of people just want to expose fakes, right? I mean, yeah, we all kind of do. So it had to be built in reality. We had a lot of credentials, you know, uh, Cam, Matt, and myself all had credentials in other fields that we were able to say, we are serious about this. Mm. You know, he's Cameron, he's the he's the distiller, Matt's the genius in the, in the marketing and brand side and I'm just the storyteller, bullshit artist, industry, yeah. whatever. Um, and then you just have to be true from the, from, from the get-go. And we just kept telling stories and then we created stories. Like we created stories with gin pigs and we created stories with silly Christmas, Christmas reviews, like continually yeah. reinventing Opportunities to tell people your stories because if you don't stay in that cycle, yeah, if you don't continually, and some of the like great, you, you had multiple releases going after always, a while, always and, new brands, yeah, it's always new, something new to talk brands, about, yeah, always something to talk about because right. if, you, if they're not talking about you, they're talking about someone else, they're talking about your competitor, right? Well, yeah, yeah, and some of the biggest brands in the world have shown us that that they're, they're amazing. You know, you pulled McCallan out. I was going to use Glenn Fittick, but they already got a plug with Ross. <laughs> but like, look at McCallan's ability to continually yeah. reinvent stories about its its barrels or its or its, or its or it's Mashbill or anything else like that. There's always great yeah. stories to tell. And I think um, we learned that. I think that when you go back to the Liquid Ideas, I think the advantage we had from having worked at Liquid Ideas, and I had, I was lucky enough, you know, before we set up Four Pillars, you know, I'd done half a dozen years consulting to Diageo and yeah, consulting right, to okay. Pernod Ricard. I mean, if you remember back in those really old days, you know, we yeah. helped Diageo build the reserve brands from right. scratch. You know, we helped launch that in the 
early That's 2000s, wild, yeah. you know, with Johnny Green and Ciroc and oh, Tank 10. And I remember that Johnny Green. That yeah. was delicious. How good was that? Oh, so, so it's still good. my favourite Johnny Walker whiskey. Well, yeah, but they, they canned it for a while. Yeah, but it? now it's back as like Green Island malt or something like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, the same. No, it's but that same. green was always my favourite. That was back when the Johnny Walker was pointing the other way, right? Yeah, and it was 15. <laughs> was he pointing left Yeah, they before? switched him at one point. Because he wasn't going forward or something. He wasn't going forward. Yeah. He keeps walking. Yeah. Backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that Johnny Green was a 15-year-old. That was a great whiskey back in the Beautiful. day. Um, so, yeah, it's called Island Malts now, I think. Um, it was a vatted malt, yeah. Yeah. But I, um, I think we were lucky because I'd seen a lot of great brands and what they did and the effort and money they put into activations and events and yeah. things. And so I think we were lucky about having that as a head start. How, how did you, like, systematise that kind of way of doing things though was it just like were, were you super organized at the start or have you well i've, I've got to ask the question have you met me before? i don't want to make assumptions someone i'm not <laughs> going to say who suggested that i have talking points when <laughs> i talk to you today i'm like oh really talking points <laughs> i had them and they're gone yeah that's <laughs> a question i'm like oh are they the talking points <laughs> um no i um no we didn't have we weren't yes i mean we had uh, strong ideas of what we wanted to do, right? Yeah. We, we knew, we knew, we, we thought we knew how to do things. We were lucky in that my randomness was matched by sort of Matt Jones's systematicness, right. systematicity, whatever that word is. Oh, I like the second <laughs> yeah. one. How good is systematicity, <laughs> right? His systematicity <laughs> and my randomness sort of combined with, with Cameron's sheer pragmatism yeah. to sort of give us a lucky three, you know, sort of um, a, a, a yeah, checks and balances. Complementary yeah, skill complement sets yeah. and, and but And sometimes contradictory skill sets, which, is, which means you often will get a better result. Right. Because okay. I'll say left, uh, Matt will say right, and Cameron will say, well, you fucking idiots. It's obviously the one right in the middle. And we go, oh, okay, maybe it is. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So, um, uh, you know, we were lucky in that. And I think we were lucky also we were a bit... I, I, the thing that scares me about some distillers starting today, and I have been approached by a few of them, is that they don't appear to have any experience in the industry when they want to start this up. Yeah. One was a news agent, the other was a, uh, the business partner was in superannuation and the, and the no, third This is, got, this is like, like people retiring from being a lawyer to go open a bar. It's like, you, yeah. it's, you have no idea. And this is heartache, and this be heartache. Keep, yeah. Yeah. Keep a well-paying job. Like, and, but, but also, like, don't think, like... Uh, Just because you drink it doesn't mean you know how I know, to do it. But I feel like hospitality is one of those things that everyone thinks they're an expert Absolutely, in. yeah. Right, I've been to a lot of bars, yeah. you know, and I've eaten in a lot of restaurants, so I know <laughs> what I want. Yeah. And therefore, everyone must want that. Yeah. So I'm going to open either that bar or that distillery. Yeah. Or I've been to so many wineries. Yeah. And I, I know enough about wine that I'm going to, you know, like it's a, it is. I think there's some romance there too, right? They think but it's, it's romantic. Like I've watched but it's fucking not. LA law, which means I'm, I'm a fucking defense lawyer. Actually, I'd love to see that. I think you make a great defense lawyer. Would, you know what? I would. Yeah. I would. <laughs> law. There you go. That's what you can do. Right now. Yeah. Law was, I was, I was that close, a bee's dick to doing law out of high school, yeah, but I missed out on my HSC mark from doing the law degree that I wanted to do by like two marks. It used to be out of 500. I, I made a fateful choice one day where I had a choice between a Juris Doctor and a Masters in Journalism, and I chose the Masters in Journalism. Did you? Where'd you do that? I was at, uh, at UTS for about six months before Just I realized- stabbed myself in the heart, in the eye. <laughs> with, a, with a gherkin on a cocktail pick. With a pickle, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then I got a job at Bartender Mag. I was like, what do I need to study this for? Right. Yeah. But you now people who read me might might wish I studied longer. Yeah, maybe you should have done an extra eight months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just got your just got your punctuation right. Yeah, yeah. You know, a little bit of syntax. Bought a dictionary. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Understood the difference between assonance and alliteration. Yeah, but, oh, I've got it. Don't worry. But the um, um, I was a bee's dick from doing law, and yeah. I'm so glad I didn't because I did the same thing. I went into journalism straight after school. Yeah, like right. as a little baby baby cadet. Uh, at uh, News Corp. News Corp. Yeah, right. that, that would have been corner, News yeah. Limited back then. Right? Was News Limited? Yeah. Nineteen eighty-seven. I started there. So, um, <clears throat> what was that um, like? Just very quick digression because I like this stuff. It's you know print journals from back in the day. It was. What was the, that atmosphere like, mate? It was. The, I mean, it was. It was. It was probably towards the end of the glory days, but people were yeah. still smoking in the newsroom, <laughs> and I was still a. <clears throat> I was. I was a copy boy who used to get pieces of paper. Yeah. And the journal would write on the piece of paper like, "Fucking get me, get me." Um, Coffees, or get me photographs of the Queen, or yeah. you know, go out, go out and find me, buy me a pack of cigarettes, and that was your job. <laughs> yeah, right. right. You would just run around doing anything <laughs> that any journalist asked you for, right? Yeah, and they right. would often be uh, go find me a file because in those days, because there was no files, there was no internet, right? yeah, there were no mobile phones. Yeah, we had just the year I started was the introduction of the VDU, which was a video dis display unit, which is basically a typewriter with a computer screen. Right, had no capacity to do anything other than to save the document. Yeah. Right, so amazing, um, and 
you know, we used to have to go and get files. So if someone said, oh, I'm writing a story on fucking Yoko Ono, yeah. go and get me the file on the Beatles. Right. So you would have to run off to the library and a woman, and women, would be yeah. in the library and they would literally be stapling uh, and, and yoo-hoo gluing all the stories about the Beatles from 30 years back. And so you pull the file on John Lennon, wow. <coughs> take it to the journal. He would then have to flip through the story on John Lennon, yeah. maybe take a, take a quote out of that and quote out of that because he was, there was no access to like, I need to get a quote about, from John Lennon about X. So it was the last of those salad days. I had four years there, five years there, and it was, um, it was old, old school yeah. newsroom. I mean, yeah. all of it wasn't particularly appealing if you look at it now from a lens of today. Oh, no, it's like... <laughs> It was a real hard drinking, hard smoking, hard yeah. living, probably male dominated, sexist, sexist yeah, yeah. Uh, environment. Um, and as a 17, 18 year old kid, it was, it was it would awe be inspiring. Right? Yeah. Like old journos who would start at five o'clock in the morning in the mirror with you yeah. and would have keys to the Hollywood Hotel and they'd go and have a couple of schooners before <laughs> they started their shift at the Hollywood. Shit. Those, like, those were the real, like, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was really actually happening. Yeah. Now you can't writing, writing the first draft of history too. Yeah. <laughs> From the pub. Mm. Uh, where were we? Uh, we were in the pub. We were we're in, the in the Hollywood the Hotel. <laughs> Shit, now I've completely lost my chance. This is a good place to yeah. edit. This is a good place <laughs> yeah. for a cut. Bringing it back to distilleries again and, uh. and liquid, uh, not liquid ideas, and uh, Four Pillars, do you see a, there's going to be a point at the moment where there's just too many distilleries out there? Like what would be your advice be to people who have maybe opened a distillery and maybe struggling to cut through. I, I don't know how you get into bars now. Oh, like bar, bars were a big strategy for you guys at the start, right? Bar yeah, tennis? yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, you had a bartender's cut choice or something. Yeah, yeah. We had yeah. I mean, the first. We, we made a um, we made a bar. We started a bartender series. You know, we yeah. we, we made it with. Um, I think Rockpool might have been the first one we did it with because they were, they had a yeah. bunch of bars. You did at the one time. with Keystone, I think. Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh my God, yeah, we did the yeah. Keystone, the yeah. original one, which became the Negroni Gin. Yeah, that was up at the Rook. Yeah, up at the yeah, Rook. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mate, you're better. You know more about the history of Four Pillars than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started Bar Center in 2012. So the, you started in 2013. 2013. That, yes, that was one did. of my first trips down there, actually, was down on, on, the, on the junket when you launched. To the old distillery. Yeah. So before Heels, yeah, I, I haven't, at Warrandyke, I haven't yeah. seen the new one. Yeah. It's been there for like eight years, yeah, mate. Oh, no, no, you haven't seen the new, new one. I haven't seen, I haven't seen anything that wasn't at the winery because it was at done at a winery. Yeah, yeah. Mate, what's the PR company doing? <laughs> I, honestly, <laughs> I don't answer PR company emails. I mean, maybe that's a problem. Wow, that's rude. <laughs> anyway, um, look at you. You're fucking happy to go off and see distilleries in Kentucky and distilleries in Scotland. Sure. You don't even come to the best distillery in Australia. <laughs> the crime. I'm saving it for This later. is crying out to the Four Pillars team to make sure you take Sam down to the distillery ASAP. <laughs> Hi, Michael. You'll remember that, won't you? I don't have a direct line to anyone anymore. <laughs> I'm just delivering it through the, through the camera. Very good. We'll edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> so... But yeah, yeah well, like because of course we started must be saturated. Now, yeah, right? so we were lucky because you know we were going to a vast number of bars, and if they had seen an Aussie gin, it would only have been maybe one. West right? Winds, it might have been Westwinds, yeah. right? So Jez and the guys at Westwinds had done a pretty good job because yeah. they were so connected into that bar culture and yeah. that bar, bars, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, and yeah. obviously in Perth. Um, and so we would go in and say, right, you know, this is what Aussie gin is and we're making ours with citrus and orange and, you know, and, and Westwinds were making really good gins at the yeah. time too, remember? They, they, right. That, that uh, the, remember cutlass the cutlass was fantastic. Was, how good was that? Gin? That was fantastic. Yeah, I, 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 I don't remember. think it's where it used to be, you know, uh, these days. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not at, um, well, actually I am. I can say whatever I want now because yeah. <laughs> I don't have a job anymore. I'm not in the Australian, I'm like, oh, hang on, president of Australian Distillers. No, you're not that anymore. That. I can yeah, say anything. Yeah, yeah, Westwinds isn't as good as it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think only because they lost their way. They lost their way in storytelling. They lost yeah. their way in direction. Um, and, you know, it, 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 was, it, was, it was a great brand. I mean, I remember when the Cutlass came out thinking, wow, that is the, that's the best yeah, Australian gin I've ever had. That lick of salt, you know, <coughs> yeah, the, the seawater or something, yep. you know, which is yep. probably just table salt chucked in the still. But well, whatever. Whatever. You know, it's a great story. No, Jez was out there snorkeling, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. getting it out himself. But no, I don't think that was that's the case. That's Jeremy Spencer, yeah? That's Jeremy yeah, Spencer. Yeah. He's recently moved to America. Yes. Partnering Jen Bailey, who's on the wall here. Four Pillars Jen Bailey. Four yeah. Pillars Jen one, Bailey, who is... Um, who, whom you couldn't have done Four Pillars without it. I head imagine. of America's now. Oh, really? Yeah. There that's what it says on the bottom of her email I got today. But... um. <laughs> yeah, no, she's gone. Um, she's what gone did over yours there. say? Hey? What did your signature Mine doesn't say anything. It has my mobile number under it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm unemployed and unemployable <laughs> largely. But um, she, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we were lucky with the human resources we had. I mean, Jen was one of the people who was there right from the beginning with us, and yeah. she came out of the liquid ideas world. Yeah. Um, the bartenders took it up pretty quickly. Yeah, bartenders did because they wanted something. I think they wanted something that was local because it was a beginning, you know, they, not the beginning. There was a locavore movement around local food, local yeah. produce, local wine. Um, and we were able to tap into that. I think a couple of things. We knew a lot of good chefs and restaurateurs to start off with. And one of the thing, interesting things we had is we had a lot of luck early with chefs liking it because they liked the flavour profile and they right. understood some of the ingredients and what we were trying to do. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of the a lot of the bar a lot of our you know our bartending mates got right behind it. Yep. Um, and then I think you know obviously then you get into retail, but uh, but on premise was a super important focus for us yeah. both domestically and offshore. Yeah. And then I think one of the things that kept us in people's minds was then that you relentlessly you know sort of get accolades or win things or keep innovating with stuff that people go like what is it 14 2014 or 2015 you know bloody shiraz i wanted to get to this right because you basically invented this category of wine gin oh my god and you you did you i judged the age i judged that category at melbourne this year right last year yeah there must be seven sixty of them it's huge now right yeah it's a, and Shiraz, Sangiovese. Yeah, but, shit, yeah. but these, are, these are gins made with some sort of contribution of mm. wine to the, the final thing, a different colour yep. often, but that's, that's not around the rest of the world. That's a purely Australian No, I've seen, a, I've seen a South, a, a South African one Yeah, or two. Um, but, yeah, look, it came. But that comes back to that always having something new to say. Always have something new but to that, say. Was that an accident but also, or was that the story you said? Like was well, a bit it was of never a an luck, it was never not, an, accident. not an accident, but like a little experiment. Yes, or was it, yes, yeah. yes. It was nothing more than that, right? And that, yeah. that, that's a fact. And I'm trying to remember. I think it was 2014. Yeah. But it was World Gin Day, so it was the first yeah. time. It might have been 15. It was the first time we had opened the doors to Warrandyte, which is our original. Right. And we wanted something special to be able. To, if people trekked out to what is a pretty daggy part of Melbourne <laughs> and bothered to come and visit us, mm. um. We wanted to show them something, and Cameron had had made this, um, had soaked some of the gin in the Shiraz at the winery, and we didn't really have a name for it, and it was thirty percent alcohol, and we're like, well, let's just let's just taste it on the day and see if people want to buy it, and yeah. it was everyone wanted to buy it. Well, it had this really rich color, yeah, right? That rich was the most and purple, thing. and it was gin with grape juice, and, <clears throat> and everyone goes, shit, that stuff's great, and then. After that, we said, we're gonna re- we, we need to release this. We need to give it a brand. Bloody yeah. Shiraz Gin, which is a great name. Where did the name and come from? My wife. Yeah, t- can you tell the story of that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, yes, because I wanted to give it a whiny, wanky, whiny name because yeah, I'm a wanky, wine whiny guy, yeah. right? And um, <laughs> we were talking about, um, I was talking about Sanye, right? Because you've heard this story, but Sanye is to bleed the colour out of the grapes. So yeah. the French use it when the they're making rosé and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, to bleed, right? And Sangiovese, Sangio is Italian for blood. Yeah. And I was coming up with all these names and my wife literally walked be- past behind me while I was sitting there coming up with all these fucking highfalutin wine names. And she rolled her eyes and she just went, oh, it's just a bloody Shiraz gin. Not putting bloody and bleed together, just yeah. saying it's just a bloody Shiraz gin. Bloody I mean, she, Shiraz gin. she could have just said it's just a fucking Shiraz gin. We would never have come up with it. And we would never have come up with the name. And I said, oh, my God, bloody Shiraz gin. I said, That's yeah. a, it's quintessentially Australian. Yeah. It's such a great name. It's, and I remember calling Cameron literally straight away. I said, we've got it. It's bloody Shiraz gin. He goes, genius. I went, thank you. All my idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what I bring to the yeah. table. <laughs> yeah, this is Stuart his best. And so we um, – It's a great story. I love that story. And it, and, and it, went, um, it went on to – you know, it is now easily the number two gin in the in the in the portfolio, and you know that's. Has there been times where it's been like number one, or or is it not? It's number one offshore. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like the English, the British love it. The yeah. British like it's easy. It's a slowy kind of gin, yeah, but and not- it's also easy to sell because like Britain's got. If we reckon we've got too many gin distilleries, they have yeah. definitely got too many gin yeah, distilleries, yeah, yeah. and you know. They, they, they wanted a flavoured gin that had some credibility rather than just, you know, raspberry infused, you know, just one of those fake Yeah, because we went through a t- period of like pink gins oh and it was God. all just candy. Horrendous. And, yes, horrendous. Yeah. Uh, uh, who do we blame for that? Gordon's? Do we blame Gordon's? Well, I don't want to. I mean, well, oh, I no, don't shit Gordon's yeah. <laughs> I love Gordon's gin, by the way. Gordon's gin, not bad. Tanqueray. Tanqueray 37, the export. Tanqueray, oh, 47 47.2. 47.3. Mm. Yeah, it's unreal gin. Yeah, but so, that's where I don't want to offend our friends at Penner Ricard. So is Beef Feeder when it's export strength. 47%. That's a great gin. I still remember one of our first experiences when we talk about was meeting, we met Desmond Payne at New Orleans at at, um, 
tails. Maybe, I don't know, that might have been around that 16, 17 time. Yeah. And that was a moment for us because I remember we were in a party. We were at a Pernod Ricard party yeah. in, um, in one of the big hotels or anything else. And <laughs> Cameron had lost his luggage, right? And, and he, so he had an I love... No, like New Orleans oh, shirt God, on. Really? So it looked like the fucking biggest dork of all <laughs> what a time. Gronk. And I think total wrong, right? And I was with uh, we were with Rachel um, Rachel Harrison, who was doing a bit of PR for us at the Rachel, time. Yeah. A bit of a legend, you know, American New York based. Two to force that woman. She is. She's yeah. an amazing American publicist for for spirits and bars and hospitality venues and everything else. And she was working for us, but she also worked for Absolute. She uh-huh. did the Absolute um, party, so we were. That's why we were able to be there. And, yeah. And, I'm like, fuck, there's Desmond Payne. Right? You know, the god of gin, right? Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Beefeater, yeah. right? We're like, oh, shit. He's, he's like knighted or something. Yeah, he's a KB, yeah. yeah, he's a CBE, a KBE, OBE. He's yeah, a one B-E, of those things, a, yeah. Something BE, right? I said, we've got to go and talk to him. Rachel, Rachel, you know, and she goes, well, I've done work with Beefeater because, um, um, <laughs> fat Beckham, but we won't go there. Anyway, we went up to him. I said, hi, you know, I'm Stu, this is Cam. Yeah. We're from Four Pillars. And he goes, I love your gins. And this was 2016 oh, wow. or something like yeah. that. And we're like, you've, you've heard of us? That's amazing. Yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh. And oh, I swear to God to this, at that point, that was the single greatest thing that we'd done. Wow. I think when Cameron went on and won that IWSC trophy a couple of years later, it may have just pipped the, what the was Desmond Payne. What, what was he called? He was called the gin distiller of the, of the yeah. global yeah. universe? Yeah, when we yeah. won the distillery of the year at the IWSC right. in 2019, I think that was the best moment that happened in the history of the Four Pillars brand. Yeah. But Desi Payne, knowing who we were, <laughs> that was pretty Mickey Mouse. Oh, Desi we, Payne. <laughs> and That's I'm a great still, name for a rapper, by the way. I got a photo of Desmond Payne, me, and Cameron with his I Love New Orleans shirt on. But you'll never see that because Cam hates it. Okay. Have we gone too long? You're looking at your watch already, mate. <laughs> well, no, Get on not. the questions. Come on. What do you look for in a good story? Because you are probably one of the better storytellers that I know. You love telling stories out loud. What makes a good story? And, what, and then what makes a good storyteller? Um... I think all I think all good stories are born out of a sense of authenticity, and you've got to be self-deprecating. No one likes good stories where you pump yourself up unnecessarily. Well, you're the hero. Yeah, yeah. You've just got to. It's always good to turn it around and make yourself look like a bit of a dick. Yeah. But always with an authenticity that like real, right? People, you know, we're not. So there's a difference between good storytelling and joke telling. Yeah. And I think people get confused about, about with this. But we're not trying to deliver a punchline. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. What we're trying to do is tell something to someone about something that, was, that, that mattered to us. So I think good story. I think, it, no, I don't think everyone. I think a lot of people are good storytellers, right? And, yeah. you know, it, 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 you need to, well, okay, here's one of the things. I haven't really thought about this. I'm not going to lie. Um, you need to know your audience. Yeah. So a good story for one audience, for a group of bartenders, is not necessarily a good story for just a group of punters we, at, at we, the we've all good got that food mate wine show. Right? When you're at the bar who doesn't know the right audience and wants to tell the story. Read story. your audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, I told this story uh, um, a little while ago about one of the very first wine events I did was in Darwin. At this is about knowing your audience yeah. and, and also being a good storyteller is as much about eyes up, ears open, knowing what's going on around you. Yeah. But I did as, uh, so imagine I'm doing a wine, fancy Wolf Blast wine tasting in Darwin, <laughs> right? At the race club, at the jockey club. Beautiful. Right? It's Beautiful. the 90s. Yeah. Right? It's fucking it's blazing hot, all that sort of stuff. And I just soon realised, I get up and, you know, well, the fucking Semillon uh, tastes like a fruity, yellow-flavoured, um, orangey, blah, 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 and the Chardonnay. And I realised, I'm looking out, and there's 200 people there, and they're bored shitless, and they, yeah. they're not interested. Yeah, and sure. one guy, my favourite bloke, had an esky, <laughs> right, full of Crown Lagers, right? Oh, he didn't... The celebratory yeah, beer. Yeah. And he's just punching back the crownies. And I'm like, this, these guys don't give a shit about my bullshit wine story. Yeah, he's had a wine tasting. He's had a wine tasting with a blue oh, and white esky of brownies, right? Tell me you're Australian without and, telling me you're Australian. And and and, um, and the um, and when, when I got up to talk about one of the wines, this is one of my fa- so I'd you know there were these tasting tasting notes, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, with all my boring shit, shit, right? Yeah. Fucking one of them just flew past my <laughs> ear as a paper airplane. That's a bit fucking rude. Darwin doesn't fuck about. I said, so where's this come from? And somebody goes, I'm like, okay. So I said, right, yeah. Well, I said, every table's got one of those. Yeah. Right? The the tasting shit. I said, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you've got, make the best paper aeroplane you can on the table. (laughs) One representative of each table will come up, 
whoever, because I had all this wine to give away for the person who asked the, mm. the questions about the fucking malolactic fermentation of the <laughs> yeah. Chardonnay or the, or the oak regime on one of Johnny Glaser's over-oaked wines. Um, so I'm going to give them away to the best paper playmaker. And the most concentration they showed yeah. in the entire evening was making up the paper planes. <laughs> Right, well, they were rocket engineers. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we had a paper plane throw off. Everyone got drunk and had a great night. And I think, I think, and this is where I may be wrong, I think they thought better of the Wolf Blast brand after that because they said there's a, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think they thought there's a brand that doesn't take itself too seriously. Well, I think I've been a one tasting with Wolf Blast and he looks like a party guy. He's not. <laughs> Wolfie's crazy. Oh, there's a, there's a whole chapter on Wolf yeah, Blast stories. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, but good story. Know your audience. Know your audience and be authentic. Be authentic. Okay. And don't, and you know what? You know, uh, here's the other one. Fucking finish before, before rather than after you should. No one ever said, fuck, that story went a little, was a little too short. <laughs> Do they? I'm going to keep that in mind for this podcast. Plenty of times I go, fuck <laughs> me, that story was a little too long. The Gettysburg Address yeah. was two minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. Most famous preacher of all time. 268 words or something like that? Something like that. Crazy, yeah. crazy short. I hope I got, the bloke before him I hope I got with, that well because if I didn't, I'm going to dub it over and make well, sure Well, you I got never it right. got the masters, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so how would you know? I did politics. Yeah. Um, we all. What makes you happy in a, stop, in a bar? Let me say that again. What makes you happy in a bar, Stu Gregor? Sport on the television. Sport on the telly. Superb draft beer. Yeah. Right, I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be craft draft, but just. What, what makes a superb draft beer? Just clean lines. I just, you know, cold? I'm, I'm cold? a you're cold. Yeah. Perfect glassware, no, not not perfect glassware, but just clean, um, you know, dust-free <laughs> and well-polished glassware, yeah. um, and just superb and and good chat, uh, and fair pricing. Yeah, I'm basically, I'm 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 in an American sports bar right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I love creativity in drinks, and I love creativity in in in, in what goes on. You know, like I love this bar. I love great music. Yeah. Like I love all the things every punter loves about great bars. I'm not. Yeah. Um. I'm. I'm not a particularly difficult. But what makes you happy in one of those bars? My team winning. <laughs> Swans. Swans. Denver Broncos. <laughs> Manchester United. Roosters. You know. Um. But I, I'm happy when everyone's happy. Like when the vibe is 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 good, and when the bartenders mm. are eyes up, ears open. That's it, right? right? It's good for and telling stories, but good for behind the bar too. Right, always, always looking around. Mm. How can we make your experience better? Yeah. There's nothing worse than a bartender or a waiter who've got eyes down yeah. and who don't want to engage with you because you know you're going to ask them something. I so. watched Baywatch one time and David Hasselhoff was like to the new recruits, you know, you got to watch your water. Yeah. I think that's very important. That's an analogy I was not expecting. Because <laughs> no. I thought David Hasselhoff's <laughs> eyeline might have been just a little lower than that. But anyway. <laughs> Well, on that note. Don't criticize the Hoff. <laughs> no, I'm not going to mess with the Hoff. Uh, well, thanks for talking to me on Drinks at Work, Stu. That was fun. Thanks for having me, Sam. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yeah. What a good way to spend a Wednesday. I really could have gone another hour. <laughs> a few I've more drinks. <laughs> uh, we'll episode do, two we'll, coming we'll up after two. this break. <laughs> we'll do round two when, uh, when you go get a job. After, <laughs> after the show. After the show. Very good. Thanks, Talk, brother. Thanks. Thanks to Stu for the chat and thank you to you for listening. As always, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend and make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player of choice. Leave us a rating and a comment. That is always most helpful. Okay, until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.